Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, and uh, for episode 155 of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast, we have five questions with Rebecca DeGroot. Rebecca, we're going to jump... (laughs) <laughs> we'll just jump right into it, and you have no idea what you're, what's in front of you, so this is perfect. Uh, first question, it's a simple one. How did you get into woodworking? And in your case, you, you do a lot of, well, you do a lot of woodworking, turning and woodworking. So how'd you get into it? Yes. Uh, well, when I was growing up, um, my dad was in construction, and he did a lot of other woodworking. So um, he'd come home from work, and it'd usually be a woodworking-related job, and he would come home, eat dinner, you know, get all the hugs from me and my brothers when he got home and he'd go out to the shop. And I was always determined to follow him out to the shop and see what he was doing. And, um, so I'd go and investigate and I would help him clean up under the table saw. (laughs) And he, the, the number one thing that I absolutely loved watching him do was when he started turning and I was just absolutely mesmerized. In fact, I was just talking to somebody this week. Um, because she was teaching the scoop turning class, the two part scoop. Mm -hmm. And I remember like it brought back so many memories over the weekend. It was crazy. Um, The one thing I remember him doing was this two part scoop on the wood lathe. So he had this thing and he had it spinning and the, the handle of it was just flying. And I'm like, what on earth is going on? And then he takes it off of the lathe and this, it's like cute little finished scoop. And I'm like, how on earth? Like I couldn't wrap my head around it. Like, how did this even happen? And, um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't pull myself away. And so I kept going out there and I kept going out. And then he finally came up with this rule when we were large, when we were tall enough to stand on the bucket and reach the lathe, he would teach us how to turn. <laughs> so I was like probably right around five or six years old turning at the wood lathe. And he taught us how to make these honey dippers. Mm-hmm. And I remember it to this day. Like I, I remember being so careful with like the cuts and I was terrified of the machine, but I wanted it to be nice. And so I was making these really tiny little cuts and making everything as perfect as I possibly could. And he told me, like, my brothers did the same thing and theirs turned out like crap. And he remembers mine because he ended up finding them later in a box. And he's like, I know this one's yours because it actually looks good out of the four of them. The other (laughs) ones look terrible. (laughs) Like, he can tell which one's my older brothers because it it looks like somebody just rushed through something just to get to the next thing that he was wanted to do. And then he could tell my younger brothers because they were a lot younger and they didn't know what they were doing anyways. But then he knew specifically that that one was mine. So that gave me hope first off. And then, um, I was in college after everything, after my dad had moved down to Kentucky and all that. And, uh, I was, I was going to an art school and I was taking all the intro art classes and for my painting class, which funny enough, um, my introduction to painting doesn't fit on a uh, class schedule, but introduction to pain, which is what was left, was there so for this class we had to learn um how to make our own stretchers to stretch the canvas so that we didn't have to spend 
way too much money on pre-stretched canvas for our paintings. Um, so we, we had to learn how to make these stretchers. And it was my second year in this college. And I had absolutely no idea what was in the basement because I'd never had to go down there before. And so our teacher walks us down and opens our eyes to this whole world. We have a massive wood shop and a gigantic sculpture studio. And I had no idea. And I'm like, what? Where did this? Was this here when I first got here? They're like, yeah, this has been here for years. And I immediately like just dove right in the next semester, signed up for my first couple of sculpture and functional art classes. And I've, I've been in love ever since I ended up doing, um, I, I convinced my teacher to teach me how to use the lay the, the end of the first semester down there. And I've just, I've never stopped. So hmm. that, let's dovetail that right into our next question. What is your favorite tool? Oh, favorite tool or machine? I would say they're the same. Yeah, machine okay. tool. All right. Okay. Um, I would say wood lathe because it, there is such an instant gratification behind turning and being able to just take a block of wood and make it into virtually any roundish, sometimes, most of the time, round shape that you want. And it, it's so fast. Like if you're just doing a one piece project, like not like my recent pieces where there's like 10, 12, 14, 16 pieces that all go in and go together to make one finished piece. But you can come out in like 20 minutes with a finished pen or you can spend 40 minutes and get a little bowl or you can spend two hours in some cases and get a really nice 13 13 inch diameter, really nice finished walnut platter. Um, It's it's the only tool, at least it used to be the only tool that can recreate itself. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure other machines can do that now. Mm -hmm. Probably probably like 3D printers can probably recreate themselves. I think if they can't, I believe so. I don't have one of those and I'm just going to be in denial. The lathe is still the only one that can do that really. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, my my favorite tool is going to have to be the lathe. I love it. And I always have. Could I ask, how many do you have? (laughs) (laughs) I have five. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) One of them, the the first lathe that I've ever had, I still have it. It's in my living room and it's on a pedestal. It's very old Rockwell Delta. I I can't give you the exact year, but I think it's from the 50s or 60s. It's the lathe that my dad used growing up. It's either the first or second one that he owned, and he ended up um, making candlesticks out of cedar posts, like fence posts, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he would sell them $1 for every inch in height. And he'd go to craft shows, and he got a consignment deal from a gallery, and he sold out, and he ended up earning um, just enough money with a little bit of help from my grandpa to buy the 40 acres that I grew up on using using that lathe. And so when I, when I went off to college, he ended up giving it to me instead of taking it to Kentucky with him. So that I took that with me and I've been traveling all over the place with it, at least from one apartment to another apartment to now my house. And so it's sitting on a, sitting on the pedestal and I've been slowly collecting the other like random pieces. Like he still had the, he still had the tool rest at his house. So over the summer I got to go pick that up and I got a nice little banjo for the tool rest to go in. And, um, that one is in a place of honor. It's the first thing anybody sees when they walk in and they're like, what is that machine in your living room? I'm like, Oh, you know, that that's the centerpiece. <laughs> Forget about the TV. That's, that's what's more important. Um, so I've got that one in the living room. I've got a large, uh, general with lathe 
that's my main lathe in my lathe room because I bought the house last I bought the house last summer and the first thing I start doing is ripping up carpet in one of the bedrooms and turning it into a lathe room so (laughs) in the lathe room I've got my big general and then I've got two jet minis that I use for a lot of smaller pieces and pen turning if I feel like just whipping up a couple pens which is really nice if I'm feeling stressed and I just need to decompress, like doing a pen or two in the evening is like, I don't have to think about anything. I can just go through the motions of making. And I come up with this little product that I can sell at a farmer's market that I go to on Saturdays. Um, And then I've got this other one that's, it's like a micro lathe. I don't remember the brand name. Um, I'd have to look it up, but it's sitting underneath one of my jet minis. And I plan on getting the rest of the parts because I got it for free from someone. They just they wanted to know who wanted it. I was the first one to raise my hand. Um, and I want to keep that one in the back of my car. So if I ever do feel like <laughs> if I ever do feel like stopping and turning something, if or if somebody is like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, I turn wood. And they're like, what the heck is that? I'm like, let me show you. Um, then I could possibly do that in the future. So that is fantastic. <laughs> Oh, very cool. So Thank on uh, on to the next. Who has influenced you the most in your work? Ah, uh, in my work, um, there are a few people. My my parents have influenced me all throughout my life because they have always encouraged me to do what I enjoy and to do what makes me happy. So their support and encouragement means the world to me. My parents and my grandma. Um, but on a more artistic side. Uh, if you don't know of her, you should look her up. She is a French-American artist. Her name is Louise Bourgeois. And her work is spectacular. And she has these giant hulking spider beasts all made out of metal. It's it's surreal and amazing and terrifying. And I absolutely love it. And it looks, her work, my my recent piece, the black one with the really spindly legs, looks a lot like a lot of her work. Um, so Louise Bourgeois, phenomenal artist, she's passed away, but she, her work was amazing. And then another person who is currently still at it, um, Michael Hosseluk and his work, super playful, like total contradiction to each other, extremely playful, fun, colorful, bright, um, really just fun and interesting pieces. So those two primarily are the artists that influences me. And then a professor in college, I had mentioned him before, Bob Marsh kind of gave me the drive and ambition, or at least pushed me along to do better and just to keep doing better and to keep improving and to keep challenging myself and don't settle for mediocre, but to go above and beyond that and really make an impact. So quite a few people, but they all kind of influence me in different ways. Yeah. No, very cool. It builds the, I'm trying to think of the right metaphor, but it, it's all those different influences are how you arrive at where you are now. And you take a little bit from each of them to develop your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh, and wait, another one that okay. I would really like to mention, Chris Vredeveld. She was my, um, she was my art teacher. She was my first official art teacher after I was, after I was in a more regular school setting cause I was homeschooled. Um, she's the one that made me want to be an art teacher. So in, in the actual professional side of what I do, I really, really owe that to her. She made it look so enjoyable and you could tell that she loved what she did and she encouraged me and she helped me to, she helped me to move past student into teacher phase. 
which is really nice. So I'd like to thank her for that. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's great. Um, in your woodworking, what mm-hmm. has been your biggest stumbling block and how have you overcome it? If you've overcome it. Mm. My biggest stumbling block. That's, that's a really good question. <laughs> I think the biggest problem that I have, which ends up being a stumbling block in a lot of my work is that I am way too much of a perfectionist. Like, Sometimes I need to just let good be good enough. Mm-hmm. But I have this inability to do that. <laughs> I I I have I have this desire to wow and to impress and to make absolutely certain that my quality of work is higher than most. And if I can't get to that point, I will stay on a piece until I feel like it has been worked into the ground. And sometimes it is. And sometimes I get so overwhelmed with just trying to make this piece perfect, which I know it's never going to be. And I need to accept that, um, that I never end up finishing it. And I just set it off to the side and it sits on the shelf half finished because it's not as perfect as I originally thought that it could be. Isn't that strive for perfection what makes you an artist? I think so. But I also think that at a certain point, I need to just stop and be happy with what I have. Because, I mean, in most cases, people would still appreciate the work, or at least I hope they would. Exactly. No one was going to yeah. realize that it's not perfect except you. And my brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, who needs him? <laughs> I know. Jeremy, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, maybe... Uh, Maybe a simpler uh, question. How has the internet influenced your work? This is the final one. Don't worry. Oh, the internet. Yeah. Yeah, them guys. (laughs) Final question. I feel like there's more pressure on this one now. No. Uh, Oh, well, I mean, I'm constantly looking at everybody else's stuff. (sighs) The internet, in a way, influences kind of everything that I do because of that instant access to everything, like every resource that I could possibly want, like every reference photo. If I'm working from, um, like if I were, if I'm working on making something a little bit more floral or plant, like I can, I can scroll through any type of picture. I can look up stamen online and I can look up a hundred different types of plants that have stamen or if I want something like a Venus flytrap, because I've been, I've been working on a piece or designing a piece anyways, that looks a little bit like one of those. I have an endless amount of resources, but then at the same time, as soon as I post my stuff, we have a ton of different people that can go on and rip it off as well. So in a sense, I have to be careful about how I post and where I post and to whom I post. But do I really want to be careful or do I want to just share my ideas? And that's kind of a thought that I have to consider when I'm working on making my stuff public. Like, do I want to watermark on my pictures or do I want to just give it out free? Because I would like to inspire other people and I'd like them to try to copy it. As long as they give credit for it, I'm fine with it. But total ripoffs I'm not okay with, Mm. which has happened in the past. And I've had to confront a couple of people like, that's not cool. <laughs> I was going to ask all. if you've had much experience with that. So people have taken, I'm assuming, pictures and claimed that they're their own or actually actual pieces? Um, 
kind of a combination of both. Like some people just take my pictures and post them on their own page and like, Hey, look at this. And it can come from a very obvious source. And my name is pretty much always attached to those pictures, but they just like post it without giving any credit. And then somebody messages me like a couple days later, like, Hey, I just found this. I know it's yours, but nobody else does. <laughs> right. So that that's one of those things that you just have to be careful about. But it's another one of those, it, you just, in some cases, you just have to just brush it off and let it be because you're never going to be able to stop everyone. And as long as, as long as you're inspiring other people and encouraging them to make, or at least think about what they could be making and maybe thinking outside the box, I'm okay with it. I would just like to get some more credit for my stuff every once in a while. I'd, I'd prefer that people don't steal it. <laughs> it is it is amazing stuff, and you certainly deserve the credit for it. Um, Thank you. I'm not familiar with other pieces, anything like that in terms of the design and mm -hmm. the overall aesthetic that you go for. So I think you certainly deserve all the credit. Thank you. Thank 100%. you. And I'm not, I'm not just saying, like, give me all the attention. I'm just... It's it's just nice to get it where it's due. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna put the work in. You want the credit that comes from the work. Yeah, it would be nice. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you for for sitting through the questions. And now, uh, as we wrap this up, where can people find more about you online, Rebecca? Well, uh, most of my work is available finished products and progress pictures on my Facebook page. If you just look me up, it's Rebecca DeGroup. Um, I have a lot of my work on Instagram. I believe it's Rebecca underscore, underscore DeGroup. Mm -hmm. I, I have a YouTube channel, although I don't post videos very often. I have my work um, on my website, which is RebeccaDeGroup.com which has links to my Etsy page where I have a lot of work for sale, small pieces, little impulse buy range. And then I also have a red bubble page that is, if you look up Rebecca DeGroot studio, you can find me there. Excellent. Excellent. Sean, and, uh, go ahead. <laughs> I, uh, I am at Sean W 78 on, um, most every social media besides Facebook where it's just my name. I am uh, Diami Plotke. I'm at modernwoodworkersassociation.com. I'm at Diami Plotke on the Twitter, on Facebook, penultimate some other things on other platforms. Um, you know where to find us. So, Rebecca, thank you for coming on. And to the listeners, go out there and make something with legs. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Keeps you entertained and it pays the bills.